Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Charles W. Chuck Bryant is picking his nose. No, but you know what? I had to be off color. I had all these jokes about me generating wind ready to go. Mm-hmm. And then I, like the red light came on and I just went blank. I think that's probably good. I think it's for the best. So can I just say, Josh, I'm, I love to generate wind. Yes, you can. Okay, that's my, my, that's my joke. It's a good one. Chuck? Yeah. You want to talk about wind generation? <laughs> let's do it. Well, let's go a different direction first. Okay. You know bats have been taking a hit lately, right? As in flying bats? Yeah. I thought you meant like baseball bats. No. I've been taking a hit. I know. I wouldn't say something like that. Okay. It's in tech stuff, <laughs> buddy. Um, bats have been taking a hit. There's a um, this white fungus that basically has been wiping out entire bat colonies and coming close to wiping out entire species around the United States. Is the fungus on the bat? Yeah, it's on the bat's nose, the oh, muzzle. Oh, man. It's really horrible. Um, and it's it's a kind of a big deal. If you study bats, you're alarmed right now, right? Sure. That's not the only thing. That's probably the biggest risk to the bat population in the United States. But there's another one that um, was mysterious for a little while, and it was bats dying near wind turbines. Really? Yeah, but the weird thing was is you could walk up to a dead bat on the ground near this near a windmill, mm-hmm. right? A wind turbine that's used for generating electricity. Yeah. Um and the bat would be totally uninjured. There's nothing wrong with it. It wasn't bleeding, it didn't have any um signs of trauma. See, I thought it, the radar might have said like this is food and it smacked into one of the propeller blades. No, it did not actually. Um that that's addressed in this article, Wind Turbines Kill Bats Without Impact on the Discovery uh-huh. uh, Channel It's website. all right there in the title, isn't it? Um, and and it says that bats don't run into things. This this uh, expert who's quoted into it says that. He's like, they're really good at with sonar, so right. they don't run into things that they didn't mean to, right? Right. Which is weird because, so that means when bats come down and hit you in the head, they meant to. Yeah. Right. Jerks. What they found out, finally, that solved this mystery was that their lungs were exploding. Because of a pressure drop. What? Yeah. Uh, a pressure drop from the rotation of the blades. When they got close enough to the blades, their lungs would explode. Holy cow. Um, it would take about a four kilopascal change. Kilopascal, it, a pascal is a measure of pressure. A kilopascal is a thousand measures of pressure. Right. <laughs> nice. Um, to kill a bat, it said in the article, and the wind turbines uh, above the turbine, right above it, um, it generates a five to ten kilopascal drop. Wow. So these bats were just getting near it, and then boom, their lungs were exploding, and then they were hitting the ground. Their little tiny lungs would just pop. I know. That's that like sad? the saddest thing I've ever heard. So what do you do, Chuck? I mean, like, wind wind energy is just, it's wonderful. It's its generally a very green type of energy. <laughs> I got some updated stats for you. You want to hear some stats? Let's talk about it. This is some wind energy stats, Josh. Uh, Last year, in 2009, um, we produced worldwide 159,213 megawatts of electricity thanks to wind, which is pretty good. It's enough to power Italy for a whole year. Uh For a year. The whole country for the whole year. But that's a drop in the the bucket for overall electricity production, right? Yeah, very small percentage is is produced by wind. Um, They do predict by the end of this year... 
that it will crack 200,000. And they have also said that since they started this whole wacky wind capturing stuff, <laughs> uh-huh. that uh, it's it doubles every three years, capacity does. So we're headed in the right direction. It sounds like it. And wind is a great way to, to get energy because you, you put up the thing, the wind blows, it produces, I mean, it's as easy as it gets. Right. It's very Dutch. Very, very Dutch. Um, the problem is, Chuck, as I said, it was a very green technology, but there's a lot of overlooked environmental impact if we may jump around a tad. Sure. Right? These yeah. things are enormous. I've never seen one. I've seen pictures on the TV. They're big. Or on the internet, right? And Rain Man. <sighs> do they have, do they pass a wind farm? Yeah, like if you could drive to Palm Springs from LA, you go by that huge, like famous wind turbine farm. Chuck, I'm glad to hear the H is back. Did I say huge? Yes, you did. Sorry, I meant huge. No, you didn't. <laughs> you meant huge. Um, okay, yeah, th- but they're they're enormous. The the turbines apparently are about the size of a seven forty seven. They're huge. Weigh thousands and thousands of pounds, mm-hmm. and they're catching wind at about two hundred feet up. They're yeah. enormous. Yeah, just one single turbine, mm-hmm. right? And there are a lot of bat and bird deaths, and to yeah. get these things in there, um, you have to basically construct new roads in a lot of cases. You're promoting soil erosion uh, and habitat fragmentation. So not quite as green as people would like to believe. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Josh, they, it, it, can be, it can have a big impact on the environment in setting it all up. And you kind of don't think about that when you're like, oh, I could get free wind energy. Right. Or not free, obviously. It's pretty expensive. But it's, it's, it's a gift from nature, isn't it? <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Very nice. Um, so uh, there, what what do you do, though, Chuck? Because everybody wants this more than, say, fossil fuels. Well, everybody outside of the oil industry yeah. wants this more than fossil fuels. And by oil, of course, I mean coal as well and natural gas. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, I mean, in, in the um, greener quarters of the globe, um, wind energy is a winner, right? Yeah. So how do you overcome these problems, these obstacles to make – you know, wind energy truly green. I'm glad you asked, Josh. Potentially, my friend, we may see little tiny blimp-like balloons hovering in the air at about a thousand feet, harnessing wind right. m- much higher. And if, as I said, it's floating in the air, so it doesn't have some huge foundation that needs to be built and erode the ground. It's right. just tethered to the ground by a tether. A tether that serves as an electrical cable, right? Yeah, so that's that's the Mars turbine, M-A-R-S. It does not have anything to do with the planet, <laughs> the red planet. It stands for the, uh, is it Magen? I did not know how to pronounce it. I didn't want to touch that one for the same <laughs> reason. M-A-G-E-N-N is the name of the company. The Magen Air Rotor System, M-A-R-S. Right. So it's an acronym. Right, and uh, basically it's a, well, the CEO of, we're going to go with Magen. Okay. I'm down with that. Okay. Um, he likened them to uh, floating white sausages with paddle boat wheels, right? Is that, is that what he said? That's what it says. It's like a floating white sausage. Yeah. Okay. It's just a little blimp with some turbines on it. It looks like a blimp with paddle wheels on it, right? Yeah. It's sort of like, I would, I'll call it a football before I call it a white sausage. I don't know where this guy's head is, but. He's hungry. I guess so. He's ready for some bratwurst. Yeah. And you're ready for football season. Yes, so. I am. Which also includes bratwurst. Yes. Oddly. So yours is all-encompassingly. It is. Chuck. Yes. Uh, the, you, you said that this, so we've got a floating white football sausage with turbines. Mm-hmm. 
It's connected to a tether at each end, mm-hmm. right? And the wind hits it and it spins. The whole thing spins. It's not like a pin. Yeah, it, it is like a pinwheel. Yeah. The whole, th- the whole thing rotates as if a football were spiraling. Right. Like, so the turbine is connected to the blimp. So the whole blimp is spinning, mm-hmm. turbine, blimp, and all. Yep. Right? And then at the ends, there's electrical generators. Mm-hmm. So the tethers, like I said, actually are s- double as electrical cables. Yeah, it's not just a rope. Right. Um, and so the blimp is spinning. It's mm-hmm. generating electricity. Yeah. It's sending the electricity down the tethers yep. to a transformer, which yep. serves a power station, which is connected to the grid. Yeah, or stores it in batteries. There's other things you can do with it. Sure. And it's really that simple. It, it runs on the uh, the um, it runs on electromagnetic induction, right? Which I looked this up a little bit. Let's hear it. Remember Michael Faraday? He was on our genius list. How could I forget? So Michael Faraday in 1831 came up with this. He I, I guess was just sitting around his house, drunk on scotch, um, screwing with wire coils and magnets. Right. And he discovered that you could generate an electrical current by passing a magnet through a series of wire coils. You're actually changing what should be a static electrical field. Yeah. Right? That was a very big discovery. It was. And uh, he also found that it, the faster you pass the magnet through, the faster you move the magnet, the higher the current. Or right. the higher the voltage, right. stronger the current, right? So what the the Mars turbine is doing is the faster it turns, the quicker it moves this, the magnets through their wire coils, mm-hmm. the stronger the electrical current, right? Yeah. Which is one reason why they float so high up, because the air speeds at 1,000 feet are significantly stronger than they are uh, at uh, you know two hundred feet where the uh, ground based wind turbine is is located, right? Yeah, every time you double your elevation, there's a twelve percent increase in wind speed, and every doubling of wind speed, there's an eight times uh, eightfold increase in wind power. So a two hundred foot turbine attached to the ground is just not nearly as effective as one that's floating a thousand feet up in the air. Right. With no, and the reason obviously is because there's no trees or buildings there's no wind resistance so it's just free flowing buddy yeah and it's um it's pretty constant up there as well it's it's kind of windy up high yeah which helps because inconsistent wind is one of the problems with wind generation obviously but not only that the mars turbine um also we should say here that we're getting no um money whatsoever for this we're just fans um but the mars turbine is is sensitive enough to be able to produce usable electrical um voltage with wind speeds of as low as seven miles an hour. Yeah. But it it can also um, withstand really strong winds that, you know, land-based turbines are designed to shut down in. So I think a land-based turbine is designed to shut down at about 45 miles an hour. Yeah, 45. And the Mars turbine can uh, continue to produce electricity in 63-mile-an-hour winds, I think. Yeah, and anything above that, anything above 63 to 65, they have... Um just like blimps do, they have controls on it, like overspeed controls and uh, emergency deflate. So if it gets, they can do two things. If it starts spinning way too fast, they can, uh, has, has a system that kicks in that reels it in automatically mm-hmm. and like lowers it. Mm-hmm. And the wind might not be as, you know, as great at like 300 feet. So they right. can keep running it. If it's really out of control, they'll just reel it in altogether. The system will. Um, or if there's some really big emergency like the tether breaks <laughs> and all of a sudden it's flying you know, over your neighbor's farm, it will automatically deflate, which is what blimps have this emergency system. 
Right, and and that's one of the things that we uh, should probably mention is it's designed. Uh, it it floats because it's filled with helium, right, or lighter, some lighter than air gas. But I believe they use helium. They use helium, and the blimp itself is made out of. Um, as the writer Jennifer Horton put it, uh, the same material used in bulletproof vests. I was wondering, is that Kevlar? Is that chicken feathers or spider silk harvested from goats? I actually know the answer. What is it? I checked into this because it was slightly vague. Um, The outer fabric is Dacron, woven Dacron, and that is what's used for boat sails. Okay. The actual fins that catch the wind to spin the football Mm -hmm. is uh, Vectran, and that is what is used in bulletproof vests these days, apparently. Some okay. of them. All right. And then uh, the coating, it's also lined with something called Tedlar. And that's the same kind of plastic coating that you find on like house siding. So that's what protects it from UV uh, damage, abrasion, stuff like that. And your new nickname is Chuck Tran. <laughs> Chuck Tran. Yeah. Chuck Tran. No, Chuck Tran. And uh, then the inner uh, portion of it is, have you ever seen those little... uh, Mylar balloons? Yeah, the little funny aluminum-looking balloons. Yeah. It's not aluminum, it's mylar. Right. And that's what this thing is lined with, because that holds in your helium really well, they found out. And just to keep it even greener, if you look closely inside the uh, Mars turbine, you'll see little... Um, sentiments like get well soon or you're right. one year cuter <laughs> yeah you know. it's a boy right uh, I did that was one of my big questions though when I was reading and this was wait a minute what about the helium because I've had those mylar balloons and they don't hold it forever no they don't like but two weeks later it's sadly hovering it like your kneecaps the uh, helium um, I, I think helium being held in uh, a mylar space is greatly increased in cold temperatures. It's cold at 1,000 feet. Okay, that helps. Much colder. Um, And the uh, pressure, there's less air pressure at 1,000 feet as well. Right. So there's less, um, well, there's less pressure trying to force it out. Good point. I think. But I did find out how much leaks, because it does leak. Uh, Well, yeah, I would think it would have to leak. 0.5% per month. So if you buy one of these things, and we should point out that Theoretically, these are going to be available to consumers like 2011, early 2011 is what they're looking at right now. Okay. And uh, you, it does not, the, the price of the thing does not come with the helium. Just like when you buy a new car, they don't necessarily have it full of gas for you. Mm-hmm. You have to provide your own gas. And the 100 kilowatt version uh, requires 200,000 cubic feet of helium, wow. which is about 60 grand. Wow. To fill it up with helium. That's how they get you. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how they get you. But um, if it leaks 0.5 a month, that means they say on the website, like every four to six months, just top her off with helium for five grand and you'll be fine. Right. But these things are built to last. The company, I think, estimates it said um, that they can float there, I, I guess, without being patched is what they meant for maybe 15 years without the need for maintenance. Yeah, because of all the tough stuff it's made of. Right. Um, and Chuck... If you happen to wonder, this thing is spinning in the air, right, on an axis, how does the Magnus effect factor in? Does it factor in at all? The answer to that one, buddy, is yes. Are you talking about the Magnus von Magnus effect or just the Magnus effect? The Magnus effect. Okay. Because the Magnus von Magnus effect is when you are able to lift a beer keg made of concrete in, in your overalls and carry it 100 feet. Well, yeah, everybody knows that. (laughs) Much lesser known is the regular old Magnus effect, right? 
Yes. And we, you see it in every day. It's the uh, spin on a curveball. Yeah. Basically, as a, um, a, a spherical, a roundish object travels through the air, as it's spinning on an axis, mm-hmm. um, it creates an actual area of high pressure beneath it yeah. that creates lift, right? That stabilizes it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, it, well, it stabilizes it if the thing's tethered. Right. Which is how the, um, so that combined with the fact that it's filled with helium, which is lighter than air, mm-hmm. um, allows this thing to stay vertical, pretty much vertical all the time. Yeah, they, they said on the website that um, both the helium and the Magnus effects will not allow it to lean more than 45 degrees from vertical at any point. Wow. Even if it's like wind swirling in all different directions, it still stays pretty stable. I wonder if there's a money back guarantee on that. <laughs> that's a lot of money, but they don't pay you back for the helium. That's where they get no, you. No, no, yeah. Um, and actually, Chuck, the there's this thing called the Magnus Airship that operates on the Magnus effect principle that was invented in the 70s that gave rise to the Mars turbine, right? Yeah, Freddie Ferguson, who's the founder of this company, old Fred Ferguson, <laughs> he, uh, he invented the Magnus Airship, patented it in the 1980s, and then that later became, he was like, hey, I can actually use this thing to generate wind, I bet. It's pretty awesome. It's very awesome. Every once in a while, you'll run across like a green idea that's like, wow, this could actually work really well. Oh, yeah. It, the, the bad news is it's going to be really pricey. At first. At first. Like all wind power, uh, this price is already going down. Right. Right? So the initial <laughs> the initial cost, when this article was written... Um, the initial expected cost is about five to ten dollars per watt, right? Yes, and it's actually less now, as of right now. Yeah, look today, it's four fifty to seven dollars, so it's already dropped. And this was written that's upfront like, cost. Yeah, this is like two years old. It's already gone down that much. Yeah, so the, take away the ten; it's not five to ten anymore. It's five or less. It's say four four dollars and seventy cents a watt. That's way more than what you pay for electricity as it is now. Right, um, but. You know, you don't generally pay, unless you're a Georgia Power customer, upfront costs to create electricity. You're paying right. for the electricity generated, right? Right. Um, this is, you're paying for the turbine. Like, you buy this turbine and, hey, here's your turbine. Go create your own power. Right. Right? So, um, again, the the price probably will come down dramatically. But once you've got the thing up and running, the operating cost is about 15 cents a kilowatt hour. Is that right? Which is still more than what we pay now, right? But it's half of what wind energy used to cost. It when it first really started to come along, say in the Rayman era, right. it was thirty cents a kilowatt hour. So yeah, as wind power, as electricity generated by wind becomes more ubiquitous, that the price for it's going to drop across the board, no matter how it's generated. Yeah, and it's for God's sakes, it's a green technology. It's always a little expensive at first, but. Typically, the people that outfit their houses with solar panels, it costs a little dough to do that. Typically, they're people that want to do a little uh, favor to the environment, Mm -hmm. and they realize over time they're going to make their money back probably. But not many people are going out and outfitting their house with $30,000 worth of solar panels because, you know, they want to save a dime, you know. Well, yeah, that's true. But it it would be helpful if there were, I don't know, rebates for buying something like this, like government rebates or subsidies. Aren't there? I think they all expired. Oh, really? Yeah. We'll have to look into that. I bet there's still some out there. I have another question I don't know if you know the answer to. Do these things show up on radar? Airplanes? Yeah. They do. 
I'm glad you asked that. Well, I you set me up or you really didn't know? You. I really didn't. Well, the, the, the Air Force and the government uses uh, tethered balloons up to like thousands of feet up in the air. And so they're, they're, they're cleared with the FAA. And in order to get one of these things, you have to get a special permit from the FAA. And you have to have a, a blinking tether. It's a system that it blinks once per second. That's an extra $50,000 for that <laughs> blinking, <laughs> blinking tether. So um, there's some other rules, too, that the FAA has already uh, put forth uh, here, too. Um, you cannot have one within five miles of an airport at all or within any flight path in North America. Do you know how many flight paths there are? Mm-hmm. I imagine there's a, quite, a, quite a few that you have to avoid. There's at least 17 or 18. 17 or 18 flight paths. And um, you have to have the lighting system, like I said, and then you can't have it like – you can't have it – you got to live out in the open. You're, you're not going to be able to put one of these up in your neighborhood in suburban Atlanta. Well, originally the thing was designed to be used in very remote places that are off the grid, like uh, if you're on an Antarctic expedition. Exactly. Or an Arctic expedition, whichever one. <laughs> it could also be used in a disaster situation. That's the one I love. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. So if you, if you um, have the Mars turbine... And that, um, remember that that uh, water manufacturing device oh, that yeah. like sucks it out of the ambient air. Uh huh. You're set. You're done. Yeah. Build a bomb shelter and you're you're all set for life. Yeah. Um, I should also point out before we leave, they do um, envision one day, probably five to ten years from now, Josh, where there is a four kilowatt backpack model that you could actually carry with you, dude. Take it camping out in Yosemite and a TV. Fly that sucker up, yeah. Take your TV and your your computer, and you can online gamble out there in the woods, just yep. like everyone else. Just like home. Pretty cool. Yeah. So that's the Mars turbine. Um, I saw on the site that they're taking orders for them. Yeah, and you can also, if you fit requirements, you can be a test um, location for these things. Awesome. There's a lot of requirements. And I imagine a lot of people that live on farms in North Dakota are probably like, hey, I'll test it out of my house. Right. You come out and set it up. I'll bet being photogenic has, is one of the requirements. And no bare midriff shirts. Yeah. Nothing see-through. So, again, if you want to see some cool illustrations of the Mars turbine, you can go to HowStuffWorks.com, type M-A-R-S, and the search bar, and I'll bet it brings up a lot more than just this article. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chuck? Yes. That means it's time now for a listener mail, correct? Yeah, I got a couple of short ones today. Going right into it? You want to plug? Nah. Okay. South uh, by Southwest. <laughs> yeah, got, we should say we're trying to go to South by Southwest uh, next year in Austin, Texas. Um, and we are trying to get on a panel. And apparently, 30% of whether or not they determine we can go to a panel is decided by votes. Right. So you can go to http colon slash slash panel picker, P A N E L P I C K E R dot. SXSW.com. Yes. And then you register and then you vote for the Stuff You Should Know panel under interactive panels, right? Yeah. When you go to click on our little thing to, to thumbs up and vote for us, it'll um, it'll say, wait, you're not signed up yet. And it'll walk you through how to sign up. And right. they, they promise that you won't start getting email from South by Southwest. It's right. just to verify that you're a human. Yeah. <laughs> just explore the interactive panels and on the interactive panel page it, you can search for panels and under title put stuff you should know and it should bring up ours and just ours right yeah and even if you're not in Texas we would appreciate your help here to get us to Texas yeah 
So um, we can go to South by Southwest and like hang out with bands. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay, Josh, these are two short ones. And it's funny that you said the word search bar because David from SUNY Canton. Yeah, I saw this. Did you see this one? I'm sorry, David. This is a good one. Darn you, Josh, is how he opens. I work at one of the state universities of New York. We are a week away from classes beginning, and my office has been besieged by calls from students and staff related to working on campus. This morning, I took two calls in a row, of which I referred to callers to information on our website by saying, you can type work-study in the handy search bar. You're totally right. It is an awful phrase, because remember, you had a big problem with this. I hate it. I hate handy search bar. After 200 plus times you've said it, you hate it. I love it. Uh, I don't love it. I love it that you said that. Right. Um, Josh is an awful phrase, but it's awful because it's awful and campy. It's like Karma Chameleon. I hate that song, but if I hear it just once, it's in my head. You know, I think Culture Club is one of the more underrated bands that came out of the 80s. They get lumped in with, like, crappy bands from the 80s, but they like they and Duran Duran were actually very talented musically. I would like to add Adam and the Ants on that list, too. Okay. They were awesome. Uh, and not at all campy to you me. You know, he's in the, the he was in a mental institution for a little while. He had a breakdown at a benefit concert. He started Adamantium? railing on Christians. And it, they, they took him away and said, you need some rest. Really? And he's like, no, I just don't like Christians. Yeah, he's like, I'm rested fine. Yeah. Uh, let's finish this email. He says, these things are like gray matter super glue. With great power comes great responsibility, Josh. You started this. You need to finish it. Come up with a better meme. Help us, Obi Josh Kenobi. You're our only hope. That is David from Cooney. I'm sorry, SUNY Canton. Right, and David from SUNY Canton, um, which I assume means State University of New York. You got it. Okay. Um, I am taking your email quite seriously. I'm already beating you to the punch. I haven't come up with anything yet, but I will get handy search bar out of everyone's head, including my own, okay? Yeah. Okay. And I got another quick one, Josh. This one made me laugh. This is from Kurt in Minnesota. After listening to the Tick episode, guys, I was reminded of one of my most disgusting memories. When I was little, my neighbor and I were sitting on his front porch playing with his dog. Out of nowhere, the neighbor kid gets really excited, has this look on his face, pulls a tick off the dog, and eats it. Ooh. You didn't see this one? No. The memory still haunts me today. After looking online about similar cases, I came across someone calling them dog berries, which makes it even more disturbing. Hope this hasn't ruined your day, Kurt from Minnesota. Kurt, it takes a lot more to ruin our day than that, doesn't it? I don't know. Dogberries, it's pretty gross. Yeah. So. What's sad is our days are consistently ruined. Yeah, every day. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thank you for that. So Kurt and then David, right? Yes. Thanks for sharing. We appreciate that. Um, I promise you I will come up with something to replace Handy Search Bar. I've just kind of gone to the sterile search bar now. Have you noticed? Hinky Search Bar? No, not Hinky either. Hinky's in that same group the same ballpark is handy we've been overusing it we're gonna mix it up we will all right frank okay jimmy so if you want to send frank or jimmy an email you can do that and don't forget chuck's new nickname is chuck tran just <laughs> send us an email will you so we can end this podcast wrap it up and send it off to stuff podcast at howstuffworks.com For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage.